Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Thursday, January 27th. Can't believe I'm saying this out loud. Day 11 of the 2022 Australian Open officially in the books. Were they the most compelling matches from a scoreline perspective? Probably not, but certainly. It feels like we get the two best players in the tournament lining up in the final of our 2022 Australian Open as it's going to be number one seed Ashley Barty. She's yet to drop a set, another dominant straight set victory over Madison Keys, of course, for Danielle Collins. Some drama on her way to the semifinals, three set wins for her over Clara Tossin, over Elisa Mertens in the end, though. Talk about someone finding their best form, Danielle Collins, straight sets over Alize Cornet, now straight sets over Iga Shiantek, the two-time NCAA singles champion into her first Grand Slam singles final. And of course, joining me, on today's podcast to help break all of that down and, of course, preview day 12, I believe, at the 2012, uh, 2022, excuse me, Australian Open is the returning champion, the, not one of the returning champion now to our Crack Racket shows. Of course, you know him best as our reporter on the ground in the Twitter universe throughout the Novak Djokovic saga, of course, editorial producer for all things tennis channel, tennis.com. It is our friend David Kanyev, David a great shot, even though it's a mini break. Welcome back to the show. How are you doing, my friend? Sasha, Privyet. I feel like I haven't seen you since we were waiting on the Novak Djokovic decision. Whatever happened with that? Yeah, I think he's playing, he right? Play I, think he, I think he lost and got defaulted or something. Like I, I, I don't, I forget. They it was may just have a- moved- and they may yeah. move the tournament to Dubai, I heard. It might have been. They might be having it there this year. I don't, I don't know. They, no, they slammed Dubai. They're staging it at the local club in Belgrade. Uh, they're just like, let's hold it there. You know, winner of the tournament in Melbourne comes plays Novak in Belgrade, and we'll see who the real champion is. Boy, wouldn't that be a fun thing? That's what wrestling would do. I would just like to point out that WWE, they would have, all right, cute, whoever wins the Australian Open, you have the Australia belt. Now you come to Belgrade to face Novak for the ultimate belt. Like, tell me there's not a, every single tennis fan, every player except the winner of the Australian Open is down for that arrangement. See, I feel like the only thing this whole saga is missing is the Serbian president, like, presenting some kind of, like, mock Australian Open trophy, like, on the day of the final. Like, you're our real, tra- you're our real champion, Novak. Here, take this platinum trophy that yeah. sort of looks like the Australian Open trophy, but doesn't. Like, just enough. Do you know that it isn't? You know, I feel Would like you say we're waiting on that. Craig Tiley's pro comparison is Vince McMahon. Is that like a good comp for him? <laughs> I knew you'd like confidence. Maybe even a Linda McMahon, based yeah. on her, her many, her many, uh, no, her many she, attempts at this at the U.S. Senate. I was gonna say, let's be clear. She ran the Small Business Administration. Actually, 
better than Craig Tiley's Run Tennis Australia. You know what? We'll save that podcast discussion for post-tournament. But, you know, I did want you to feel like we only liked you for your ability as a reporter. I like you as a tennis analyst even more so. And that's why, of course, we wanted to have you back on the show to help me sift through day 11's results. Talk about what our listeners, what tennis fans should expect down the home stretch of the year's first Grand Slam. Of course, before we do any of that... Got to give a shout out to all of you listeners, to our Crack Rackets Patreon family, more of you now than ever before. I told you you were getting the behind the glass look, David. You're getting all of the plugs and everything. Sincerely, though, on behalf of all of us here at Crack Rackets, thank you for continuing to listen. Thank you for sharing these podcasts with your friends. The downloads are higher than they've ever been, and that's a testament to all of you. Hopefully, we're producing the sort of content you all enjoy. Maybe it's just the presence of David. We've had David more in the month of January than ever before. Causation's correlation, David. Like I see I was it. gonna say, any uptick between my my arrival and the <laughs> and the exponential rise in numbers, I, I wouldn't take credit for it immediately. I do have a very good pilot, but now, I'm very happy to go on the ride with Well, you. I just hope you put on your resume now, like led the month of January in Crack Rackets Listens, because I'll say this three of our five most listened to episodes and I'm not saying it's because it was about Novak Djokovic, the biggest story of the month, but you may have been on three of our five most listened to episodes of the month, David. So, you know, again, put that in the back pocket, whatever that does for you moving forward, you know, you can drop that fact however you deem fit. But of course, again, thank you to all of you listeners for continuing to tolerate both my, David, all of our returning champions nonsense, of course. A huge thank you as well to our friends at Tennis Point who powered this podcast day in, day out for the latest and greatest equipment. Tennis-point.com, promo code CR15. You'll get 15% off all sale items free. Two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, David, there's a tennis ball shortage. Not with our friends at Tennis Point. You'll get a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls with your order as well. I'm curious, what racket is David Kane rocking on the court right now? See, I've I've been an E Zone guy for the last decade or so. Okay. I'm still I'm still rocking the 2017 model, the 2018 paint job, but the 2017 model. I mean, they've they've stopped giving them new names. They're just the E Zone now. They just you know the, like the you know the Prince 03 racket, like the black and orange one. We're talking old school. Ooh, I love the oh, that's like, that's right in the sweet spot of like. That's what I'm saying. I, I feel playing like tennis that's most. your rocket. Like I feel like that's your racket. Like I feel like you're rocking that for the rest of your life. I've been a Yonix kid ever since I saw Martina Hingis at the 2001 Arthur Ashe Kids Day. I started out with a, with a hammer, and then I went over to, to the dark side, and I haven't been back since. I almost asked you. Well, I mean, you were technically a kid at 2001 Arthur Ashe Kids Day, right? Like, probably Te- I'm going to— Technically, I was. Yeah, as you say, not, we're not talking like six, like I would have been, or five, but, you know, still pre-13. I was a hard nine. Yeah. <laughs> I was a hard nine in 2001. I like that. I've already That's- seen a lot. Oh, I need so, women's tennis to come in and just completely take over my life. That's good. I get a hard nine. That's funny. Um, yeah, well, with all that, whether you're a hard nine, a crisp 62, any equipment you're looking for, all available with our friends at tennis-point.com, tennis-point.com. Promo code is CR15. All right, with the nonsense out of the way, let's talk about some tennis, David, and let's talk about a subject I know is near and dear to your heart. It's time for us to talk about what Ashley Barty's accomplished, not only here at this Australian Open, 
but at you, you know over the course of this three-year stretch. And of course, all of us were looking for things to do during the hiatus between March 2020, August 2020. One of the things we did here at Crack Rackets, one of the things I did, I should say, is I went back and I looked up, you know, the three, the five, the seven plus year runs from some of the greats in tennis history because I look at a lot of statistics and yeah, you can see the trends, 80%, 70%, 60%. You're winning that, you know, 80, 70, you're flying up the rankings. 60%, depending on what you get, you know, top 30 threshold. But if you're winning 60% of your matches, you're usually moving up a level, whether that be from the 250s to the 500s, whether that be from the challengers to the 250s, etc. You know, there are certain benchmarks you can see as trend lines, but how do, these th- how do these things compare historically? And so what I did during the six-month stretch is go back and look at players like, you know, there's tier one, in my opinion. The all-time runs, all things Serena, like we can just be honest, all things Serena, all things Navratilova, all things Steffi Graf, all things Chrissy Everett. You know, that's tier one. I would also throw Monica Seles, everything she accomplished, obviously, before tragically being stabbed on court. I put that as a tier one run as well. Then there's the tier two, which are the, you know, the five-year runs, the Justine Ennens of the world, the Martina Hingises of the world. I think you can make a good case for Venus Williams' five-year run, or you can make a case for like six different three-year runs, and that's actually what makes her such an interesting outlier in tennis history, which, again, that's not an Australian Open podcast topic, but we can have you back on, David, to do this sometime. The point is, the benchmark to get into, you know, that, Kim Kleister's range and higher, like the Ennens of the world, that you're winning four plus slams, we'll say. You're winning about 80% of your matches over that three-year span. You're winning about a third of the events you enter over that three-year span, five-year span. The reason I bring all this up, since the twenty start of the 2018 Canada Masters event, a Canada 1000s event, whatever we want to call it, Ashley Barty, David, 137 and 30. Since August of 2018, that's an 82% win percentage. Now, you look for her during that stretch. She's played 10 Grand Slams. She's won two of them with a chance to win a third here on Friday night, whatever it may be, Saturday in Australia against Danielle Collins. She's made, I believe, at in terms of Grand Slam second weeks, I think she's made the round of 16 in eight of the 10 Grand Slams. Oh, excuse me, nine of the 10 Grand Slams she's played. Like, come on, it's a, it's a, excuse me, of the 11 Grand Slams she's played. Nine of the 11 Grand Slams she's played here because I forgot to include the 2018 U.S. Open in my math here. So, you know, nine of 11 in terms of round of 16. So you look for her quarterfinals. She's made six different quarterfinals over an 11 slam run. Obviously, you look at her here in Australia this week, uh, these two weeks. She's yet to drop a set. You look for her yesterday against Madison Keys, a Madison Keys who was on, you know, a nine-match win streak of her own, and a Madison Keys who was breaking serve at rates higher than she had ever broken serve, serving as well as she ever had, and you know, just moving as well as she ever had, playing as confidently as she has ever had. One in three for Ashley Barty, and much like the Jess Pagula match, where Pagula goes up forty love first game of the match, Pagula serving. Ashley Barty breaks. Madison Keys, opening game of this match. You know, again, she has game points. Ends up on a break point going to a bailout drop shot. Barty had already worn her down. Barty, approach shot winner. Barty breaks one love. The stats say she's been the most consistent player at a historic rate over the past three years. If you've watched her perform this week, she's had the sort of suck the soul and suck the life out of you performances right from the start that the dominant number ones have. I just think that's the framework we have to start considering Ashley Barty in now. And I know I apologize for the four-minute intro there, David. The floor is now yours. But I think she has been that good 
over the course of these three years. And this is just kind of like the culmination of, all right, is this now a five-year run? Is this a seven-year run? Like, I think that's what we have to start framing it as. First of all, I love that your equivalent to an at-home workout in quarantine was just statistical <laughs> research. If, if you or someone you know has been adversely affected by the quarantine, <laughs> please dial this number. Well, with that in mind, you know, I started at Crack Rackets full-time February 1st, 2020. So like six weeks, we're on the road, national indoors, 100Ks in Lexington, doing all these cool things. Then six months of nothing. So I was like, I got to feel useful. I got to do something. <laughs> So, I mean, listen, there's no two ways about it. Ash Barty is the best player on tour right now by, by a huge margin, I would say. I mean, I think, I think Pam Shriver tweeted something to the effect of there's, you know, 30 top 10 players right now. I think there's only one top 10 player right now, and that's Ash Barty. And that's therein sort of lies the problem is that we're, we've experienced this bizarre flattening at the WTA where you're only, there's only really two possible outcomes now at a major at, at a major tournament we're getting either ash Barty winning or a complete surprise out of nowhere and we we got very close to that here if, if it had been a keys collins final it would have been a very surprising outcome as, as great as keys has been over the years that would have been a surprise to have those two in the final we would not have predicted them to make it that far at the start of the tournament same thing goes for the u.s open Raducanu fernandez pavlyachenkova krechkova at uh roland garros i mean the other nine members of the top 10 are not really carrying their weight, you know, whether it's Arena Sabalenka struggling with her serve and a Contevite and Palapidosa still trying to adjust to this role as top 10, Barbara Krejcikova, whatever the heck she went through in that quarterfinal against Madison Keys. I mean, it's, it's, it was, it's, it's disappointing to see that as, as good as Ash Barty has been against the best players, because I'm sure someone will bring up the fact that she's has a very great record against the top 10 and top 20 outside of the grand slams. The reality is, is that through these three major runs of hers, she will not have had to play a single top 10 player. And that's just when you stack them up in the tier system against your Navratilova's, Serena's, Hingis's, Sharapova's, Enna's, Kleister's, they were significantly more difficult runs. And so, and that's just reality again. And I think it, it, it goes back to something that I said earlier in the month was the, what really plays in Barty's favor is a couple of things. At first, she's supremely fit. She's supremely confident. She has sort of a unique game to what you would see compared to the rest of the top 20. And she doesn't play a lot. She doesn't overplay. It's not like Wozniacki in 2011, where week in, week out, players are figuring out how to beat this game. And I think Craig Tizer, her coach, actually made the comment of, you know, we're seeing players right before they play Ash warming up against the backhand slice. And if you're not ready for the backhand slice now, you're not going to be ready for her in the match. And I think, I don't think he meant it in the way that I meant it, but I think the reality is, is that she plays a different game and it's not the kind that these players are used to playing. Whereas a Madison keys was very, very good at buzz sawing through a Bedosa and a Krejcikova, very different look in Ash Barty. And so I think that really sets, sets her in really good stead. However, I just wonder at what point do the players figure it out? Because again, this isn't like a giant of the game in the sense of she's like physically imposing. She doesn't have like a hundred mile an hour forehand that people just can't hit through. It's really, you know, brains against Braun. And I think historically Braun has tended to win out in women's tennis. It, it doesn't always, you can only outfox your opposition for so long when players start to figure out your patterns and, and take you down. But in the meantime, she's very likely to be three quarters of the way to a career slam. You cannot knock it. It's not her fault, the draws that she's getting. She can only be the players in front of her. She has maintained tremendous composure at her home slam. 
in sort of like a circus like Fortnite, whether it was starting from Djokovic and going into the Fortnite with Kyrgios and Kokonakis playing men's doubles, you can maybe debate whether who's gotten more headlines in the Fortnite, whether it's Barty or Kokonakis, Kyrgios. Um, but all told, I mean, where did, it's it's just so hard for me to predict where she goes through this year because so much of this feels like she is to a degree benefiting from circumstance, but she is certainly walking through that door to the extent that the door is open. Yeah. So you said a lot of things there that I want to follow up on. And, you know, again, I'm going to try and go point by point here so that we can have more back and forth. Because let me say, in terms of monologues to start a pod, I think we're both like 97% right now. That was perfect. Um, you brought your stats. I brought my dreams. Yeah. <laughs> kind of like just, and near, near, near the two shall meet. <laughs> I don't know what the final word is on your shirt, but we have decided. I agree with you. You decided to stand forever. forever. <laughs> Me and women's you know, tennis. <laughs> all right. I say this lovingly. I did a three. It was probably about three months ago, four months ago, maybe five months ago. Who knows how long things are anymore. I, I did like a four-minute rant. Four-minute. It might have been four-minute. I would say I got it down to a crisp two on why I'm against the word stan. And it's like we can't just say I'm a fan. I'm enthusiastic about it. It's like that's the word we've come up with, stan. We can't get better than that. But, you know, again – I, I will stand your standing of standing. Um, but with all that said, to get back to the Ashley Barty part, I want to go back to the beginning of what you said. You talk about the rest of the top 10 not carrying their weight. And you look for Ashley Barty during this stretch of time. Again, I'm going to go all the way back since the 2018 US, uh, that 2018 summer. She's 22 and 10 against the top 10. Like now, to your point, one and two at Grand Slams. None of those matches come, you know, the one win she got coming at an event where she did not end up winning, you know, uh, none of those matches coming in events she ended up winning for her titles. But 22 and 10 is pretty unequivocal against the top, you know, again, that's pretty decidedly successful against fellow top 10 opponents. And so it's interesting you talk about the other players not holding their weight. I, you know, I think Iga is very much right now where Ashley was from a career projected uh, section, perhaps in that 2018 summer and going into that 2019 season where, you know, again, she's made fourth round or further now at the past five slams, six slams, and just the consistency we're seeing tournament in, tournament out on these big stages. Yes, yeah, she's yet to get those signature wins yet. Uh, but, you know, I, I think she's getting there along the way. The reason I bring this up I don't think you can knock Barty for the performance of the rest of the field. And like, in terms of you talk about brawn beating brains, A, and I know these are looping in some, a couple of points together, but I think this speaks to the depth of the top 10. You know, I think right now in women's tennis, that's the thing. It's the depth that separates this era from prior eras. How good player rank number 50 or 75 is. Obviously, you look at the depth in the top 30, really thin margins across the board. And yet Barty beats all of them. And like... You have a Madison Keys serving lights out, playing as well from a bronze perspective, bronze sort of tennis, as anyone I think on the tour right now is capable of. And Barty just destroys her. Like, again, it was a routine performance for Ashley Barty last night. And Amanda Anisimova, bronze tennis. Anisimova played well, four and three. Ashley Barty was never really tested outside of, okay, she gets broken to start the second set, two love down. She breaks back right away. And she immediately secures the lead and, you know, manages to comfortably get out, you know, get away with that match. You also look at the numbers. It's not as eye-popping as Arena Sabalenka's serve and her power tennis. It's not as eye-popping as Amaticus and Keys. You know, she's not a first ballot inductee to Serena Williams' power tennis country club. But she's second on the WTA tour in hold percentage. 
trailing just Naomi Osaka. And you look for her thus far this season, she's been broken four times total by two players. Three of those times coming in her first match against Coco Golf, where she's a set and breakdown, manages to win. She got broken once by Anisimova. That's it this year. And so, like, I don't think you can just say it's brains. It's bronze, too. It's not your flashy, traditional power bronze, but I think she hits her her serve plus one as effectively as anyone. I think she hits her spots with power from the serve perspective as effectively as anyone. I think the records indicate that, you know, she's beating everyone she has to face. It's not her fault they get knocked out earlier in a Grand Slam than before she plays her. Like, I do think from a quality perspective— this is just as good as the Ennins and that era of players winning Grand Slam titles. And it's, it, you know, again, she is of that quality. It's not her fault that the field has yet to match her. Okay, I have a lot of things to say to that. So first <laughs> of all, I, I want to reiterate, I am not mad about Barty. I think she mm-hmm. is playing, she is the consistent number one in many respects that a lot of people have always wanted. You know, in, in the through the chaos of WTA tennis for the last decade and a half, we have wanted a consistent number one. What I think we also wanted was a consistent number one, two, three, four. And I think we go back to that 2012, 2013 era of Serena, Vika, Maria, really juggling between that number one ranking, sharing the slams between two seasons. I think that's sort of the ideal scenario. So no, I'm not mad at Barty about that. I think I'm very much mad at the top 10 because I feel like that they're just not holding their weight. And I do think when you want to put a player in the conversation of an N and et cetera, you want to see them beating the best players at the best tournaments. And I think when you see... You know, a Madison Keys in the semifinal who, yes, has been ranked, I believe, in the top 10 and has made many multiple Grand Slam semifinals in a final before. Good. It's certainly, I mean, given how the draw shook out, it's probably the best, you know, one of the best permutations you could have gotten for Ashley. You know, a credible win over a powerful player, to your to your point. The fact that Madison Keys has persistently turned in these kind of performances in Grand Slam semifinals, worrisome. I mean, like, the good news is Madison Keys is back to her best. The bad news is she's back to her best and this seems to be the ceiling. <laughs> yeah, sure. So it's sort of like a, a, you know, six of one, half a dozen of the other. And I think you, you brought up Iga Shiontek and I think Iga is, an, if I, I put Iga and Ash in a very similar boat because they are two players with very unique games. And I think what you're starting to see with Iga is that players are starting to figure that game out a little bit. I mean, the way that Kanepi nearly beat her and the way that Collins did beat her and Iga really didn't have an answer, especially in that second set against Collins. And some of the emotions we're starting to see from Iga. And I mean, when your whole brand is, I have a sports psychologist. And I know she wrote a column on BBC Sport about how actually her, the emotions she's showing on court are good. And maybe they are because she's very introverted and the fact that she's getting engaged in the match, maybe that's a good thing. I don't know, <laughs> long-term that usually you, you see those sort of things boil over. And I think Collins, by contrast, has really reined it in. I mean, I think she used to be something, no offense of a joke. She was a bit of a sideshow the way that she would react on court people found it very funny i don't think anyone saw her do that and think wow i need to win if i do that i'm going to win a lot of tennis matches everyone's made a danielle joke right a good it's i love it it's it's very entertaining to watch i am in many ways sad that she's not doing it as much anymore but i think you can correlate the fact that she's not doing it as much to the fact that she's having her best tennis results ever um there was a few other things that you said that I wanted to disagree with. <laughs> Good. That's right. <what laughs> I like, no, I like I, these disagreements. I think, yeah, I think in the short term, yeah. I mean, oh yeah, brains and bronze. I think, I think bronze eventually wins over brains. I think that there is this, there's this, there is a process that needs to unfold in which Barty's going to play a lot of different players. But again, it also goes back to the top 10. The top 10 need to be making it to these matches. They need to be ex- getting this exposure therapy, as it were, 
to get used to these matches and get into these rivalries. I mean, we haven't seen Naomi Osaka play Ash Barty since 2019, and she would be considered her closest rival. I mean, we had a decent stretch of uh, Barty-Sabalenka matches in the spring of last year, which were really great, really entertaining. Haven't seen that this year, and there's, based on the way Sabalenka's been serving, excuse me, based on the way that Sabalenka has been serving, there's no indication that that rematch may be coming anytime soon based on where they are in the draw. I mean, yeah, she's a phenomenal number one. I bump on the quality of the field that she's beating to be number one. And I bump on the quality, I bump on the idea where if we're going to put her in these illustrious elite conversations, there are quite a few asterisks and some of them even are not, or most of them are out of her control, which is the players that she's had to play. And also the weeks at number one that she was able to rack up during sort of peak quarantine era. I mean, just seems like to put her in converse in the same conversation as players who were number one were, during weeks in which play was happening and they were on court for most of it seems suspect to me but again she's phenomenal she's a great person she's very easy to talk to and press yeah. even if i do find her answers to be sometimes a bit um pat <laughs> and maybe maybe built maybe depending more on uh aussie slang <laughs> than sure. actual substance more slang than substance if that makes sense but otherwise you know if you're looking for a, a solid dependable number one you can't find anyone better than that i would just like to see a two three and four really coming up behind the rear and and challenging her with contrasting tennis. I think that's what makes the game most exciting. No, it's fair. And, you you know, last year we felt we were going to get this super exciting Bianca Andrescu-Ashley Barty final in Miami and then Andrescu, you know, Again, physically yeah. not able to be there. So you make a lot of good points there. And, you know, you're right. It felt like, you know, Osaka's healthy in 2020 in August and she's playing the U.S. Open and she's playing her best tennis and Ashley Barty's not there because of the pandemic. And so we don't see her there and... You know, unfortunately, we don't get the potential Barty Osaka final, <clears throat> excuse me, in 2021 because of uh, Barty knocked out by Mukova in the quarterfinals there. You're right. We haven't seen that match since 2019. And you do feel like from a challenger perspective, that would be an interesting one to see that matchup. Although, again, I know and I, I see your frustrations and I, I don't even think we disagree at this point. I, I would agree with you. It would be nice to see consistency across the board, although I do think there's an element of that. A, it speaks to how high the ceiling can be in a single match for any of these players right now in the women's game. Like we just saw what Anissa Mova was able to rip off. And, you know, she's one of the many talented young players. Clara Tossin's not going anywhere and across the board. Do we, do we forget what Conteve and Bedosa just did last year? And, you know, Simona Halep still playing good tennis. By the way, I would love, it's a random tangent, if you flip Ashley Barty and Simona Halep and like their age curves, like you put Barty when Halep started and you put Halep when Barty started, do their careers look the same? Like, is it the same sort of struggle? Because Halep got the tail end of that really dominant era. Yeah. And, you know, kind of was able to sift through a couple in the mid there. And, you know, for Barty, it's a little bit different. Anyways. Um, but I think you make a good point because I feel like we're in something of an interregnum. Because I think a lot of this top 10 struggle busting is the fact that a lot of these players still have yet to prove themselves at Grand Slams. And that's they're very they young. Will. They're all they're, like they're, 25 and yeah. under. And they're all doing it on the smaller tournaments and they are getting to these rounds where they are then playing Ash Barty and Ash Barty is then beating them. But I think, you know, you introduce slam pressure, you introduce different, you know, variables. It's just, it's just all about wanting to see as many different permutations of this as possible. And, and really in the last year and a half, it's, we've sort of been deprived for it because coming out of this pandemic, Barty has been the sharpest and pretty much no one between her and Radu Kanu has really been as ready consistently to step up to the plate. And so it, it's been frustrating because you are used to seeing, 
you know, definitely a, a number 16, you know, making grand slam, you know, these credible runs from, oh, she was in this, she was, she was coming up, you know, in the weeks leading up to it. I mean, we're just seeing players kind of come out of nowhere. I mean, even Danielle Collins was sort of seeming like an, an early upset pick from some people this, based on yeah. her injuries and, and everything. So, I mean, it's just, there's unpredictability and then there's what we were experiencing right now, but also a lot of predictability because the number one player is holding up her end of the bargain. So it's like a very strange well, I, I need, we need to bring back the WTA middle class. I feel like we really lost it in the last year. Now I, I will run. I will run for office on that. You're right. There's a lot of promise. there's a lot of tech like bubbles right now. It feels like there's a lot of you know wealth at the top. There's an upper middle class or a lower upper class that's just like very very deep, and then there's just a lot. Yeah. So I don't. Know, or maybe there's a really strong middle class, and therefore what it means to be middle class. That definition has shifted yes. as well. Automation. We said this was going to happen. Um, no, that that was a joke. You should see the look on David's face. He's like, "What do you mean?" There just um, shouldn't be like a fifty-eight way tie between yeah. like eleven and a hundred. Like, I don't know what like because even if you say there's depth, there should still be better depth the higher up you go. But it seems like it's just the same depth to the point yeah. where again, a Raducanu can come out of and win a slam. Fantastic for her, but you know the long-term health of the sport. I know you, you no, want it's... you want to be able to depend on the top ten. Fair to put the bow on the on the Barty uh, conversation as it relates to Madison Keys yesterday. So again, this is where I would slightly begin to disagree with you, and I'm I'm really holding on to one thing you said in in your opening statement. It's just about Ashley Barty and people figuring her game out. Yeah, and Jess Pagula said it best. Like Ashley Barty's just a little bit better at everything than than everyone, and I think that's true. Like I do think. She can play power tennis. She can match the plus one game of a Keys, of a Sabalenka, of anyone, even at their best, with how well she hits her spots and how well she follows it up with her forehand. And I don't know if there's anything more dangerous in women's tennis right now than Ashley Barty with time sitting on that forehand corner in the ad side of the court where you just have no idea. Is she going inside out? Is she going inside in? Is she going to incorporate some sort of short angle drive? I have no idea what she's going to do with that ball. She disguises that so well. She volleys as well, if not better, than any player in the women's game, follows it forward, moving well, and just, you know, again, she was dominant on serve against Madison Keys. 61% makes wins 86% of her first serve points, 67% of her second serve points isn't broken throughout the course of the match. But what was more impressive, you talk about, again, figuring her out, well, you think, all right, elite power into that backhand corner, right? Eventually, it's going to give Barty problems. Keys made 71% of her first serves, David. She won 49% of those first serve points, 53% of her second serve points. Now, you're right. She misfired on some forehands. It was not her best performance of the month in Australia. But, you know, how many times did we see Keys try to go serve to the backhand, force Barty to come up with some magic on the on-the-run forehand, and Barty just hits that forehand on-the-run forehand cross-court just on a rope? Like, she just—it's opening up the court— and then you think, okay, I'm going to hit it to her backhand. Nope, now it's slice, short angle, cross court. And now all of a sudden, Ashley Barty's in control. Like, you know what the combination is, but she's executing it so well. I, I know this is a bold comparison. It's Rafa-esque, where it's like, let me try and get the ball to the Rafa backhand and see if that works. And it's just like, nope, it doesn't work. Well, I'm glad you said that, because I was going to say that the most dangerous thing, actually, is attitudes like Jess Pagula just saying that Ash Barty is too good. Because I sure. think that is the exact issue that we ran into for about a decade and a half and counting on the men's tour is this idea that the the men, you know, looking up to the top three and saying, they're too good. They're a little bit better at everything. And to, to a certain degree, we had that with Serena when Serena was at her best, because in many ways it was true. But I think on the other hand, Serena would say people would play the, come to play their best tennis against me because I feel like even when people thought Serena was invincible, 
they still tried to come up with something, especially the best players in the game. Well, that's because so she think, was Serena, right? I feel like Barty, you know, Barty to us, the nerds in the bubble, but it's he yeah that reliable number one now. But she was, you know, Serena transcended it all. Barty doesn't but, transcend yeah. yet. But it's starting. It's starting yeah, from sure. comments like Pagula, comments from you saying that she's like Rafa. I mean, like that becomes the myth making, and then you just sure. then you really get on a roll, and the momentum really starts to go. I mean, I think. To your point, they're well-executed patterns. I don't know if Keyes is that familiar with those patterns. I think it's a matter of, again, she's been really out of it for the last year and a half. And I think, you know, almost completely um, in step with Barty's rise has been Keyes' sort of descent. I mean, you can kind of, you know, uh, pinpoint their exact point where they met. But the 2019 Rolling Garros quarterfinal where Keyes, Keyes loses, Barty wins, Barty goes on to win the tournament. Um, she's I think one of the most consistent players that Barty has played to win these slams has been Madison Keys. So, I mean, again, a really great opponent for Key, for Barty in the sense that, you know, Keys will make the extra mistake. She's notoriously not great in these big matches and doesn't really allow Barty the opportunity to get a little nervous. That's the only thing that we haven't seen from Barty at this tournament so far is she do be choky sometimes. And like, we did see that at the U S open, we saw it at Wimbledon, but she's really been in the, been faced with arguably suboptimal opposition. I mean, we're talking about Anisimova is probably one of the the best opponents she could have played was just coming off of a crazy long Naomi Osaka match. I mean, you see if Barty gets Osaka's draw, then I'm, I'm more curious to see what happens at this stage of the team at this stage of the the tournament, what would have transpired. But I mean, she really only had to play one of, as we predicted, one of Benchich, Osaka and Anisimova, and she got the most exhausted one of all and is, on course to winning her her third Grand Slam title. So, I mean, again, she's got the trophy. She's got the cash. Nothing I can say about it. Yeah, no, it's it's very, very interesting to hear you again frame it. You know, I, I, that's fair. And in terms of the myth-making and, you know, when you go, when you win three titles and, you know, three out of four years and the consistency she's had at the slams, that is how the myth begins to build. And it will be interesting to see because, again, Anisimova Keys, they do have that sort of FU power and Barty had no problem with it. And you talk about the yips she's had in the past. If you go watch that Mukova match from last year, boy, was Barty bad. Um, that's one of the standout things, I think, from this run as well, is it's been all business for her. Opening breaks, again, it feels like in every match she's played, and just right away, I'm in control, I'm getting to cruise control, let me rock and roll. That I haven't seen her go through a run at a slam, not even Wimbledon last year, where it felt like she was just... By virtue of, well, no one's good on grass court, so let's take Barty because she's the consistent presence and, like, that pick worked out. This has felt much more like, no, 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 I'm going to dominate the opponent that's across the net from me. And you're right, hasn't been the toughest pathway, but she's done her job from the start. She's figured out, like, that sort of second, seemingly, she has figured out that sort of second set letdown that she was yep. experiencing when we yep. at the U.S. Open. She's getting out to such huge leads that there's really no opportunity. These aren't, like, five-all sets for the most part that where you have that opportunity to maybe think and get a little tense. I mean, he's came in and got tense for her. So I think that's, and but the, the difference is pre, perhaps previewing this final. I don't know if, if Daniel Collins will get nervous. I mean, because I didn't, I thought maybe she would against Iga and she really made Iga look like the inexperienced one out on court um, well, for that second semifinal. Yeah, well, let's go there next now. And we're not going to do 30 minutes on Collins like we did just there for Ashley Barty. But we're going to do, do an hour on Daniel yeah. Collins. <laughs> <laughs> you know me well. College um, tennis. Yeah. <laughs> it's alive. This has been this is a very vindicating 24 hours for Alex. Let me I just you. want you to know I'm making a mark there right now in the notes for Westoff because that's fourth moving forward when we uh, 
have a college tennis podcast, we are, I'm going to use that as a sound effect. And it's just going to be David King going, college tennis, it's alive. And so, Westoff, cut the clip for us. You look for Danielle Collins, two-time NCAA champion. At, you know this, I assume, right? This is basic stuff for you. UVA. Okay, but UVA where was what? she? Trivia question, though. Is that the only school she played at? She definitely was at more than one. I am not remembering the other school. Okay. <laughs> uh, you want a hint? Is it California? Something in California? No. It was, no. can I give you colors? Blue and orange. I'm pretty sure she was a Florida Gator. Oh, Michigan is blue yeah, and I'm, orange. I know, I know Michigan blue. is blue. I know that's oh my very... God, blue and orange. It's been a good decade since I've been in college, so give me kidding. <laughs> and we were not an athletic stop school. <laughs> stop, stop the press. Stop the prints. Maize and blue. Maize and blue, David. Maize and blue. Come on. Come on. I mean... You, you, no, you're still the returning champion, but I hope you you just lost some listeners. You just lost Michigan. It's been a rough uh, one. Yeah. I really, I God, God bless college tennis. I don't. <laughs> yeah, this is your election night, 2016. The Detroit ballots are in. You've officially lost Michigan. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but um, yeah. Uh, all right. With all that said, Danielle Collins. You're right. College tennis champion, two-time NCAA singles champion, who has also made runs at Grand Slams, quite a few of them over the past couple of seasons. 2019, she makes that run all the way to the Australian Open semifinal. 2020, she makes it to the French Open quarterfinal, now obviously here. She's to the final in Australia, and it, it hasn't been, you know, the easiest pathway in the word, world for her. And while she's only played one top 10 seed, to get Anaconia, to get Clara Tossin, three sets, you know, over her, and then... Three sets over Mertens, cools the Jets of Alize Cornet. It felt like once she won that first set, you just knew the levy was going to open. Same deal, you know, races out to a three-love lead, maybe even four-love over Shriantuk. I think it was three-love uh, before getting that 6-4, 6-1 victory. You talked about the confidence Collins plays with. And watching her play last night, you look at the stats from the match. She, you know, uh, makes 64% of her first serves, wins 78% of those first serve points, 27 winners against 13 unforced errors, six of seven at the net, which honestly feels high for Collins. If you've watched a lot of her play, you know, for her, her just refusal to move forward, unless it's a swinging volley. That's been a big thing for Collins throughout her career. But just, you know, again, I think the number that stands out to me 51, she went 51 of the 0-4 to four shot rallies. Shviontek was at 25. Collins' ability to absorb, redirect the topspin of the Shviontek return or of whatever Shviontek plus one ball and just change direction on her and how confidently she was swinging, how freely she was swinging. I use this term too frequently now. There's a main character energy you just need to have to succeed in an individual sport yeah. like tennis. And like... Yeah, I know. I get that from you. I get that from Ben. But like Danielle Collins is a main character in the in the story. And like in her mind, it's the Danielle Collins story that's unfolding right now in the WTA Tour. And credit to her. She's had a bunch of health issues uh, that she's managed to overcome. And, you know, again, if you know about her background, all the different things she's had to go through just to get to this point of her career. But there's that confidence to her and just like swinging freely. She was not intimidated by anything Iga did. She played on her terms, David. And like, it was kicking. I don't know how else to say it. So I did look it up, and she played for a year at University of Florida, but she yeah. did not win her NCAA titles until she transferred to UVA. So that, I kind of don't I, count. The, I don't count that year. <laughs> <laughs> Wikipedia doesn't count that year. I had to really like Google Danielle Collins College to get that Florida piece of information from the jaws of defeat. But I mean, I think with with Collins, it really is a phenomenal and inspiring maturation that we're seeing through these two weeks. I mean, I think from 
everything that she's gone through. What I've always found so endearing about the Daniel Collins story, and I think Sandy Harbert a few years ago for the Miami Herald, speaking of Florida, really summed it up quite <laughs> well, was the idea that, you know, when when Sloan Stevens and Lauren Davis, who are her age, were playing junior Grand Slams, Daniel Collins was not. And that was due to financial hardships and just sort of this prevailing belief, I think, that Collins wasn't going to amount to much as a professional tennis player. And so she did take that college route, honed her game. And in many ways, certainly, you know, had a better career than Davis and is starting to maybe even have a better career than Sloan Stevens, which you would never have expected when they were both coming up as teenagers. I think um, now she's feeling free. She's feeling better than ever, having, you know, conquered some of the roughest parts of her health struggle. I think she feels calm, confident. She's in a happy relationship. I think all of these things make up for what we are seeing on court right now. She's not feeling that same overwhelming desire to prove herself, but she hasn't also lost that motivation to prove herself at the same time. Sometimes when you lose that fire, you can end up flat. But what we're seeing is this, what she has lost perhaps in like desperation, she's made up for in motivation and determination. And I think that's like such a great transition that we're seeing from even a player at 28 years old can really make that, that, that uh, mindset shift in her career. So I think the sky's really the limit for her. I mean, the way that she was able to knock, you know, Iga Shvantec from side to side and just sort of not hit that um, dip that we saw Kaya Kanepi do in the quarterfinals because Kanepi was perilously close to pulling off the same upset in the quarterfinals and arguably Serana Christea in the fourth round as well. But I think we just saw someone with consistent depth, consistent pace, was able to just, you know, clobber that whippy topspin of Iga Shvantec. And, you know, it, it, it's... It was wild to see because you expected Iga as smart and clever as she is on court to kind of come up with a solution. And if anything, she just got worse in the second set. And that was that was something that was surprising. But I think, you know, what a validating moment for Collins, you know, a few years after her Australian Open semifinal to back it up with a, a French Open quarterfinal, now a Grand Slam final. She's a top 10 player. She is, you know, she is the one that hands the uh, the wooden spoon to Angebor in that little race to knock her out of the top yeah. ten. Wouldn't have it, wouldn't have predicted it was Collins at the start of the tournament. I think I would have predicted Raducanu, maybe uh, Raducanu, Ripakina, even uh, Pavlyuchenkova before I predicted Collins. What a rise in the rankings for her, and, and points that will stay on her ranking now for the rest of the year. She will have, she will likely be a top 10, 12 player for the rest of twenty twenty two. So this is just phenomenal for her. I couldn't be happier. We've hit a lot of Asians in this pod. Correlation, causation, motivation, inspiration. Surprisingly, not immunization. Like, usually that's no, what we well, talk we, about. When we it's really, uh, yeah. We, there was a bit of divination behind that one. We we're an Asian nation. I've said that for years. Um, but, no, it, it's it's so fascinating because how old do you think Danielle Collins is? Or do you know this off the top of your She's head? 28, yeah. Okay, yeah. That's why you're I, I looked it up because I was like, who are her junior cohorts because she said that she didn't get to play junior grand slams and she didn't she has a very tiny junior career i always hate framing it like this and i know this is so stupid so sorry listeners she's she's a year and three days younger than my older brother which to me is just like mind-boggling because i'm like the the fact that eric could like win a grand slam or make a grand slam like at this age, i'm like no way my thing my saving grace i always say is i'm a little uh you know a little over two months younger than pat mahomes and so I'm like, all right, I got two months. I'm like, it's fine. It's fine. Like, he, it's fine. You know, um, anyways, you look for Danielle Collins, still young in her WTA career. This is why I bring this up, because obviously yeah. spends the four years in college. And I think one of the most uh, in- encouraging, there's the word, signs for, for Danielle Collins, just because I've got some numbers for you, David, of course. <laughs> 
I first serve win percentage over the last four years. We go back to that, you know, 20 or 2018, I should say, because 2018 was really the breakout season for Collins. Round of 16, Indian Wells, semifinals, Miami back to back. It was a lifetime ago, but that was when she really introduced herself to uh, the pro tennis world. And, you know, for her, you know, going back then, she won 60.5% of her first serve points in that 2018 season. Next year, 63.2. Still not great, better. Last season, 69 point, uh, excuse me, the season after that, 69.4. 2021, 69.9 now through very small sample size this season. She's at 75.6. That was the thing that jumped out to me yesterday is how effective she was on the serve and how her first serve had turned into a weapon. And, you know, for both of these players, if you hung a second serve, you lost the point in this match. Sriantec capital, you know, punished the Collins second serve just as much as Collins went after Iga's. But the Collins first serve was the biggest opening weapon on the court. And that was shocking to me. Like that was not a development I expected. So to your point, I think she has continued to get better. And obviously the hold percentage has continued to increase each season. Worth mentioning, her break percentage has continued to improve each season. And last year she was at 40.3. That was a top 15 number through a small sample size. This year she's at 41.5. She's got a very well-rounded game, David. And it's just like, you know, again, when you're identifying, well, what's the weakness for Danielle Collins? I thought it might be heavy top spin into her body and getting her stretched in the outer thirds like Sviantec does. Nope. Collins took everything off the short hop. She absorbed the top spin, made it look easy. I still don't think Collins is the best mover. And I do think someone like a Sabalenka or, you know, a Rabakina, one of those Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club sort of people, I think they capitalize on that. I think the precision of Ashley Barty is going to give Collins some troubles as well. But I think Collins is a really high floor, match in, match out. And I think, to your point, she's going to crack the top 10 by making this final. She doesn't have much to defend until the San Jose and, you know, that Olympic where she won however many matches in a row, June, July stretch starts. I think she could stay there for a while. She didn't play at all, I don't think, between Miami yeah. and the summer. So, I mean, that's that's huge. I think she played... She played Roland Garros because she played Serena, as I remember. Yeah, yes, She was yes, up 4-1 yes. in the second set. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was at her first Grand Slam main draw match when she played Simone Halep on Arthur Ashe Stadium and took a set. And I was like, who is this player and why is she so excited? It was like a game in and she was screaming, come on. And I was like, oh, she must be nervous. And we didn't realize it was like her thing, um, which I told Danielle that and she really didn't find it that funny. I thought it was funny. But um, <laughs> I was also at her Indian Wells breakthrough when she beat Sophia Zhuk in three sets. And I believe, yeah, to your point, made the round of 16. Uh, Sophia Zhuk. Too Queen soon. of the G Wagon. Yeah, too oh, soon. Gone too soon. I miss yeah. her. She was a she's a good chat. She's someone you who you can just call up and just have a real conversation with for like an hour. It's crazy. Um, but um it's very unexpected in, in, in this crop of players. But um yeah, I think it's to your point. Yeah, she's really in many ways I never would have saw this coming. I just it didn't seem possible in 2014. It didn't seem possible in 2018. So I think the fact that she's been able to grow by leaps and bounds and just is really uninhibited now. You know, we've seen from this return, what it just really puts in, in perspective, really, how much pain was she playing with for these last several years? I mean, I think we, we don't, we really haven't gotten a handle on just how debilitating this endometriosis was for her and how difficult maybe whether it was in match, whether it was when it came time to train, you know, and build up, you know, strength and stamina, like these are all aspects that go into building a good player. And the fact that she's suddenly been able to come out of the blocks like this, feeling like she's got a weight lifted off of her. It really speaks to what she was able to overcome in the past. And that kind of experience with overcoming adversity, first just to prove yourself as a player, then to prove that you can be a healthy, consistent player. I mean, this is 
two of the clearest mental hurdles you could you can make if you want to become a consistent you know big name player. And I think you know now she's got the the big slam experience. She could fill in the gaps a little bit with you know some more WTA you know WTA level results. I think you know she's. I think I'm calling it out. I think I'm going to see her in the top eight end of the season oh, i like that that's a take david some spice there at maybe the end. not that's high maybe not maybe not in the top four but i do think she will be in the mix in. at the end of the season yeah i like it um by the way if you're looking for an expert to talk to on endometriosis there's nothing not doc- no there's nothing <laughs> dr gruskin my loving mother would like more than to receive a call from david kane and to get to flex her ob muscles for you she would be like please david give me the call um, I talked to an expert, Dr. Laura Gruskin. Oh, if she saw that in a tennis.com piece, move over all the clips of Alex on the fridge. There's a new sheriff in town. Um, it's a so, phone a friend moment. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, so I still think one of the best t- clips of all time, and I will watch it because the guy who wins who wants a mil- to be a millionaire, if my dad like pitched oh. an A-plus game from a personality standpoint on the show, that's he would have done the same thing. He'd be like, can I call my son? He'd be like, hey, Alex. And he'd be like, yeah, like, I just want you to know it was Richard Nixon on Laugh On or whatever the show was to clinch. And I know the answer, but I've won a million dollars, just so you know. <laughs> like, that was, I was just like, this is amazing. It's still a great moment when he calls the dad. Clear head. <laughs> yeah, you're just like, hey, I, and then Regis just goes, well, this is the answer heard around the world. He's won a million dollars. And it's just, <laughs> it's so good. I just, that's prime Regis. And, yeah, I, if I ever do a, a tennis game show, it will be in the Regis voice. Hello, welcome into Who Wants to Be a Letcord? Um, or, you know, whatever. It's inside or Something in, Something yeah. sufficiently mid-Atlantic, I hope. Yeah. How's the Regis? You know, I need the feedback right, right away. Regis impression? Five and a Solid. half? Solid. Solid. He, he was a former neighbor. Yeah. <laughs> he was a fellow Upper West Sider. I, I, like I, I feel it. I felt no, that. It's good. I can, it's the enthusiasm. I get the enthusiasm. I also... Sound like I've just done 17 lines of cocaine. Um, so anyways, with all of that said, some final thoughts here before I let you go. A, for the final. Which way are you leaning? Barty Collins. Well, uh, the last time that Barty and Collins played was in Australia, and Collins did win that match. I mean, I think at this point to bet against Barty would be somewhat foolish, <laughs> given what we've seen, you know, the, the just sort of the lack of resistance in these matches clearly – Barty is healthy, confident, hitting the ball very well, doesn't seem encumbered by the pressure. Whether that changes in the final will be pretty much up to how close Collins can keep the match from the outset. I think you said, you know, Barty's getting out to these early breaks and then just immediate relax. What happens if someone makes that push and, you know, takes a three love, three love lead in the first set? We don't know. That said, I think, yeah, my pick would be Barty. And she was uh, the three quarters of a way to a career slam, which is crazy. It is crazy. And like, again, Muguruza, she's got the two hard ones out of the way. Like, she, it's not out of place. Simona Halep. Yeah, that's the other obvious one I was going to say. Simona Angelique Halep, Kerber is three quarters of the Angelique Kerber, very much in the mix. And it's like... Svetlana I mean, Kuznetsova, she's with, coming. <laughs> with how things have gone, Kvitova, French Open title, 2020. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, that's the tough one. But, like, again, for all of these players... Uh, you're, uh, for Daniel Collins in particular to make this sort of run, it's capitalizing on the moment. Like this is, you have the opportunity. Whomever is playing their best right now, it feels like outside of Barty or Osaka, who when they play their best, it does feel like we have a definitive answer. Like it's it's a wide open field, and credit to Daniel Collins for capitalizing on that field. 
But I think I've made my thoughts on Barty pretty clear in this podcast. I would agree with Padula. I just think right now, she's better than everyone. Now, I do agree. The power tennis of the Sabalankas of the world, the Rabakinas of the world, the healthy and rescues. God, I want to see Osaka Barty so badly. Um, I want to see those matchups still. And there will forever be some sort of temporary cloud hanging over Barty until we get to see those matchups more frequently. But it's not her fault that one of that they can establish who's two, who's three, who's four, and... I think this is the title Barty wants most. I think this is the one she, I think she, I think she gets it here today. Yeah. I mean, first of all, when I say going back to that bronze over brand, it does take just, it's not just raw power. Cause I think if it was that easy, we wouldn't be seeing Barty stringing together the matches that she's winning. I think, you know, it, it does take that combination of precision, athleticism, power. It's going to take that complete player. And right now we're just not, not really getting that. Um, I had another point to make, but in the meantime, Good. I will just say about Collins, about Barty, about number one, about two, three, four, about. I'm just trying just, to replicate everything I said. Just good for her, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> good, sure. for, good for her. I yeah, I, it's there's. Oh, I was gonna say yes. I don't really know if there's really a cloud over. I think for the most part, sure. people are the people who are in charge with writing the history books are pleased. I think ultimately because especially if you're someone covering women's tennis and are eager to, you know, posit that it's legitimate, which I don't think that's a discussion. I think it's very legitimate and it's probably one of the best sports out there. But I think, you know, you like to see this world number one dominating. I think it just creates a very clean narrative, especially coming from men's tennis when you're used to seeing a Federer and Nadal winning. You could say, oh, this is our Federer and this is our Nadal. And, you know, people are already making that. I think maybe there are some some salty fans, you know, in in the lower rungs of the of the tennis community who may be a little bit upset that she may be a little bit boring and isn't as mm-hmm. dramatic as what we're, and theatrical as what we're used to from our our top players and our and our champions. But ultimately, I think uh, history will be very kind to Barty, regardless of how this regardless of what happens to her career going forward. Yeah, and again, I, I the, the crazy conspiracy theory would be she wins Australia and she just is like, ah, I'm good. Like, you know what? I've proven all I need to prove. Like, it just I wouldn't feel- put it past her. <laughs> I, that's what I'm saying. It's not like, it's not out of the realm of possibility, right? Like, Especially it's if not- you're Barty. I mean, like, you're home. You just won your home slam. You don't really love traveling that much. Like, maybe Especially you're just like, I don't know. See you, like, see what Wimbledon maybe? Like, she may, I don't, I wouldn't put it past her to totally shut down the rest of the, because it's for her. And maybe that's why she's able to play so uninhibited, such uninhibited tennis is the fact that. She has her priorities lined up. She's got her friends. She's got her family and her loved ones. She's, you know, in a good mental space. And when she doesn't want to play, she doesn't play Guadalajara, like, you know, Indian Wells. Like, and I think maybe even Naomi is taking a cue from, from Ash and, and learning to say no. I think Barty has always been very clear about yes and no. It's why she stopped playing. It's why she came back. It's why she is doing what she's doing. And, and when she stops, if she stops, I do believe that that decision will be entirely up to her. Yeah, no, it's. Fascinating little wrinkle there. All right, my last question for you, and it's an open question. Floor is yours. Monologue away. Day 12. You've got Rafa versus Berrettini. You've got Tsitsipas versus Medvedev. Give me David Kane's read on how it's all going to play out. Oh, boy. <laughs> I've actually been very excited by the men's draw. It feels like, you know, especially as the quarterfinals took shape, there were really no... It felt very kosher. Came- it's very kosher. Number one, you were going to feel yeah. like, wow, that's a great moment, a great story. I know some people on this podcast predicted a certain player would make it to the end, and he <laughs> didn't make it to the quarterfinals. I'm just saying, I was told he's a very big deal, and that's why we got to pay attention to him. But here we go. And today, he got clobbered by Jenis Shapovalov in the fourth round. So mm-hmm. mm, I don't know. Just saying. But um, looking ahead to Nadal Berrettini, I mean, what Nadal has been able to do with this tournament is just. It's crazy. I mean, he's he's at the age that he's at. 
36, you know, like just, and playing his way into form, overcoming what seemed to be heat stroke, stomach ailment in that fifth set against Shapovalov comes out and plays probably the best set of the tournament for him, you know, just from a mental tactical perspective, overcomes the Canadian and now gets Berrettini. And for Berrettini, it's a phenomenal opportunity to, to get someone other than Djokovic this late at a Grand Slam. I mean, he, he's been playing some really good tennis too, coming up against an inspired guy on Monfils in the quarters, figuring that out in five sets. They both played a lot of time on court, so one won't be significantly more um, ragged than the other. I mean, I hope we see a really good match of you know, that sort of power from Berrettini versus the spin of Nadal and just sort of the gravitas that Nadal takes with him asking me to pick i mean it's hard to pick against nadal based on the way he's been doing so far in this tournament and then the second semifinal sort of the the family friend question mark grudge match between Tsitsipas and medvedev medvedev was my pick from the start of the tournament i feel like he's just been so great um on hard courts and has been so great with dealing with the crowd and has really become the sort of beloved cult figure in tennis i mean i've said like you took tennis twitter and made an algorithm and made a person out of that. I feel like it's Daniel Medvedev. I mean, like the fact that he's been able to like sort of charmingly troll the Aussie crowd and still has them on, on his side at the end of the day. It's, 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 it's phenomenal diplomacy and something that maybe some of us who are not in Australia may be wanting to take a page out of because the way that Medvedev has been able to, to handle crowd uh, public relations is really unparalleled right now. But um, I do think Medvedev wins that one. I feel like that even though he did play a long match against Felix uh, Ojeliasim, who again sort of hit his ceiling, you know, playing as well as he did and then not winning those crucial points and not converting match point, not getting those crucial break points in the fifth set. I still think by the end of the year, we're going to see a breakthrough from Felix. He's just too talented physically, tactically. He's got too much good stuff on his side for it to not happen eventually. It's wacky that it hasn't happened yet, but we'll see, you know, eventually, because when you're at this plateau, either you go up or you go down and we're still here. So I want to see him go. I want to see something happen. I want to see him either deal with adversity or just win everything because I feel like that's where we're at right now because it's sort of like this weird um this weird purgatory we find ourselves in with Felix but that said yeah I, I think we're going to see a Medvedev Nadal final you know a, sort of a full circle moment given that it was uh, Medvedev's first Grand Slam final in 2019 and I think either way it's 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 a rough day for Novak Djokovic who either you know gets passed for 21 slams or loses his number one ranking in a month I mean well, it's sort of lose-lose for him what's been so amazing is if Djokovic were in this round god I mean, if Roger Federer somehow makes a semifinal again in his career, we would talk about the chase for number 21 far more than we are right now. And we're not talking about it because I still don't think anyone thinks it's realistic for Rafa to win this event. Like, I still think, even from a matchup perspective, like, how many times have you seen Rafa break down someone with a backhand like Berrettini, right? A bazillion times. You know exactly what Rafa's going to be doing in this match. And, like, Medvedev just played a five-setter against Felix. Now he's got Tsitsipas. He will have come in with the more difficult path, without question. Kyrgios and, you know, all Cressy. the different Cressy, all the different faces Medvedev's face uh, throughout the course of this Australian Open. Or Tsitsipas, who lefty, one-handed backhand. Like, again, from a matchup perspective, if Rafa can get through, and yet we don't talk about 21. And, like, I honestly think that's a good thing. Um, oh, I'm talking about it. I feel, I'm like, I'm already at 22. I feel like we're going to get into Wimbledon with 22. I feel like that's, it's on the table and you wouldn't have expected it at the start of the year. That's, that's what I'm saying. It's fascinating. I still think Medvedev's the guy. Like a day off, he'll be fine. Berrettini's had two days off, with the, which really helps. And I just think like, Chapo came pretty close despite playing horribly to beating Nadal with plus one tennis. Berrettini's plus one tennis is just better than Shapovalov's. And like, I think tonight's matches get interesting 
I think over three and a half sets in both of them, meaning they're, you know, I think both play, when, we're going at Which least means four. they'll be too long. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but it should be really fun. And so with all of that said, David, before I let you go, any final thoughts on the action? Any, any final hot takes for us about the action in Melbourne? You know what the real hot take is? Seeing Karen Sweeney's t- uh, tweets as they don't relate to Novak Djokovic. I'm like, oh, so this is what you cover. Because uh, I'm still I, following. I admit I haven't followed Karen. <laughs> I'm sorry. They didn't follow back and I'm getting very salty about things like that. All in all, I mean, I got to say, it's been a brutal two weeks compounded by the two weeks before that with Djokovic. I feel like this Australian Open has been going on for a month. I am a little maybe too excited that it's almost over. I know that's like not what you're supposed to say in moments like this, but I just feel like it's been a brutal month and I'm looking forward to getting back to um, a more friendly time zone in a month. Yeah, Yeah, college tennis. (laughs) College tennis is alive. It's alive and well, but that said, I am looking forward to the Middle East swing and um, in Indian Wells, I feel like we're going to, maybe we're going to take something out of this and we'll see where, what builds from this Australian open swing. Can Madison Keys hold on to her momentum? Where does Danielle Collins go in the spring? How does Bedosa and Kontavite um, and even Krechkova sort of rebound? Where does Carolina Pushkova fall into this conversation? She was on the court today, kind of sort of practicing after having to miss the start of the season due to a wrist or a forearm injury. It's been tough because you feel like she's she never looks particularly injured. And you feel like maybe you could have maybe you could have tried. Maybe you could have seen what would have went went down if you flew down to Australia. But yeah, all that said, it's um certainly. <sighs> I don't want to say the best possible finals weekend because I think maybe the best possible by numbers would have been Vardy Shvantec, but all in all, I mean, I think we're getting some really good uh, finale matchups, both on the men's and women's side. And I think fans should be very excited for how this all uh, turns out. I texted, or I think I tweeted it to Colette Lewis, near and dear friend of the show and the greatest of all time. Very jealous you get to text Colette Lewis. Oh, you don't understand. There is nothing that brings me more joy in life. Absolutely nothing. than when I get Colette going with laughter. Because like... You know, again, I would argue that a lot of my sense of humor is built around responding to her pieces amongst my friends and talking to the tennis nerds and being funny about it. And so, like, it's right up the strike zone. And, like, the point is, yes, I cherish every – Clyde, if you hear this, you know I cherish every moment we spend on the phone together. Um, yeah, it's – and they're – anyways, anyways, anyways. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm tearing up here. Um, all of that said, like, it was the funniest thing in the world she tweets out, you know, to – Two college, uh, coll- former collegiate players into slam finals this year, down from three last year. And I was like, down from three? I was like, how excited were you to type down from three? I'm like, come on, you can tell me. Like, be honest. Like, did you have fun with it? She's like, yeah, I did. Um, and so, anyways, college tennis is alive. Australian Open is alive. Your content, all alive as well, all on tennis.com. What can we expect on the home stretch? Not too much. I'm actually having, I'm getting a few days off, which I'm very much looking forward to, but I have been covering things as, as, as the tournament's been unfolding. My, um, my story on Daniel Collins' uh, run to the final is up on the, the tennis.com website and any and all content you can find on tennis.com and promote it on Twitter and Instagram at DKTNNS. That's DKTNNS. Well, David, as always, I appreciate you taking the time. And now you get to hear me sign out on the outro as well. A shout out to David for his continued efforts. Tennis.com, tennis channel. DK double uh you guys you just heard it I don't need to repeat it incorrectly you just heard it hit back 30 seconds and you'll be able to hear it again uh but a shout out to you David a shout out to uh our friends at Tennis Point as well for their continued support of this show tennis-point.com the promo code is CR15 of course if you've missed any of our shows you need to catch up on any of the days of this 2022 Australian Open you can find every day's recap uh every day's recap 
here on the Mini Break Podcast feed. Excuse me, you can hear previews each and every day over on our Great Shot Podcast feed. Of course, all the content available on the website, crackrackets.com. A shout out, as always, to our super producer, Danny Westoff, for the of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of this content possible. A shout out again, as well, to our friends at Tennis Point. With all that said, for my fantastic co host, David Kane, today, our super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. David, what do we tell our listeners? I believe and that's the break? Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. College tennis is alive with that sort of response, but thank you as always, my friend. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 